Welcome to Hematopoiesis, a Nash Training Council podcast made by trainees for trainees. In this episode, former Training Council Chair Dr. AJ Major, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine, interviews the Training Council Chair Dr. Maya Abdullah, Fellow in the Geriatric, Hematology, and Oncology Fellowship at Boston University. This episode's topic is about caring for older adults with hematologic malignancies and introduction to geriatric hematology. Thanks for joining us today on the Ash Hematopoiesis podcast, which is a podcast that we started through the Training Council. My name is Ajay Major. I am the former chair of the Training Council, and I'm currently an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine, the Department of Hematology. And I want to introduce our guest who's going to teach us all about geriatric hematology today, Dr. Maya Bella, who is a third-year fellow in a combined geriatrics and hemonc program at Boston University and also a first-year member of the Ash Training Council. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Major. Great to be here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a fascinating idea for this podcast and it's obviously very appropriate to trainees. So how did you get into geriatric hematology? Yeah, so I think a lot of us in hematology and oncology care for a variety of patients, but a lot of them are older adults. And oftentimes we have a lot of discussions about what's appropriate for their treatment. Or I remember as, a, as an internal medicine resident describing patients as a good 65 or a bad 70 or something like that. And I thought to myself, there must be a more scientific way to figure these things out. And a little bit of mentorship and some networking with other people. And I learned about a whole field called geriatric hematology and oncology, where their goal is to do exactly that. Yeah, the training you have is really unique. Where I did my fellowship at the University of Chicago, we did have a we had several people who did geriatrics and then did hemonc, although most of them are doing more solid tumor oncology. I don't think it's as common, is that right, that people are doing heme? Exactly. That's exactly right. So I got into geriatric oncology at first, but my clinical interest was more in hematology. So that was even more of a smaller niche to kind of find mentors and leaders within. But th- there is a geri-heme world. There are people who are extremely welcoming and interested in mentoring fellows, trainees at all levels, really. So if it's something that's ever occurred to you, you've ever thought to yourself, I'd love to know how to care for older adults with hematologic malignancies. There are a group of people with similar interests who are kind of trailblazing and leading the way for us. So what what's the unique part about your combined training? Like how, how does that kind of work to make you a geriatric hematologist? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's a combination of a few opportunities, but I think clinically speaking, you become board eligible in all three, geriatrics, hematology, and oncology. Wow. So you kind of um, will be a geriatrician, and that's done upfront in your training more so because it's closer to internal medicine. And then you do hematology and oncology. But like you mentioned at the University of Chicago and many other places, you could do serial fellowships. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of mix and match. And if you're an internal medicine resident who might be inclined to start with a Jerry fellowship and then proceed to hemonc, you could definitely do that or vice versa. So there are many ways to do it. But the ultimate goal is to care for older adults with malignancies, both heme and solid. So what is your personal, what's your disease of choice in hematology? Yeah, great question. So I've uh, kind of been fluctuating throughout many. I think I started off with a bigger interest in myeloid malignancies, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of uh, crossing over to the lymphoid side. So malignant hematology, and I'm kind of still finding my footing in what I'm interested in. So when you're, you know, when you're in your clinics um, and and you're seeing older adults, I mean, what kind of tools do you utilize to help you? Because there's this whole thing about like, what's chronological age? Does that matter anymore? Is there a functional age? What tools are you using? Yeah, that's an excellent question. It really gets at the core of geriatric hematology and oncology. (laughs) And that's really the thing that we 
preach very often, and it's the geriatric assessment, which is the gold standard. It's the kind of multidisciplinary approach, what people have called with more experience than me in this, have called staging the aging. It is evidence-based. It uses tools that have existed in the world of geriatrics for many years, but puts them together to assess many domains in a person and to get a holistic view of their true age, physiologically and otherwise. Obviously, you know, geriatric assessment, and I've, I've seen some of the data on this, is it's a gold standard. We should be doing it. When should we be doing it? Like, yeah, what are the a, indications? That, that's you know? a great question. And that's kind of um, exactly my area of interest. So oh, okay. I'll, I'll back up a little bit and talk about what is recommended. And then we'll talk about what's actually done in real life um, and how what's recommended. I'm sure they're different, yeah. <laughs> how, what's recommended is almost not really feasible. So we have to kind of talk about the reality. But what's recommended technically is really a comprehensive geriatric assessment. And as the name implies, and as you can imagine, it is comprehensive. It is very time consuming. It is labor intensive. I think a lot of Jerry Heem or Jerry Ong people who are hearing this might be worried that I'm scaring people away from it. But the reality is no one has time in busy clinics to conduct a two hour long assessment on each patient. Yeah. So your question is really hitting the nail on the head. So who gets this? So technically guidelines recommend that the NCCN, I think, and ASCO both recommend one says 70, one says 65, but adults age 70 or 65 and older who are going to be considered for systemic treatment should receive a comprehensive geriatric assessment. That's what the data says. In real life, <laughs> we can't do that, right? So um, we often have busy clinics, regardless of the disease of interest. So we have to kind of figure out what can we do to screen people? How can we implement these great ideas that come out of large institutes, sometimes ivory tower institutes with right. many... Right, right many support staff on, on hand and actually um, translate that to our clinics. And that's something that I kind of am very interested in understanding. And there's many ways to do it. Some research in the hematologic malignancy world actually comes from um, our colleagues in Boston from the Dana-Farber Older Adult Hematology Malignancy Clinic. Mm. And they've done really interesting work that was published in Blood, um, I think almost two years now, on using gait speed as a fifth vital sign and as a way to kind of screen frailty. And it works. You can actually measure someone's gait speed to know whether they need to be referred for a more thorough evaluation mm -hmm. or whether they're kind of robust and non-frail. So there are shortcuts. Right. There are ways to kind of choose who you might need to tag team, a geriatrician, their primary care doc, mm -hmm. someone else to help you, and who might be a more robust person. Yeah, that seems like a certainly a practical way to do it, which is that, you know, a simple screening tool that can be developed that any oncologist, any hematologist can do, and then maybe referrals to a specialized center. But obviously, there's a lot of um, logistics with that. I mean, studying is that an effective way of doing the screening? You know, an interesting conundrum is that, in, you know, a lot of solid malignancies, you know, people's diseases are often, I mean, sometimes they are exploding, but oftentimes they're not. And obviously, in our <laughs> hematology space, you know, you well know that some people need treatment quickly. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sure working some of the streamlining that process is, is, is pretty vital. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, in, in um, recent work I was doing with one of my mentors who does a lot of research on acute myeloid leukemia in older adults, Dr. Lowe, one of the ways that she bridges this gap is using electronic assessments. So um, some self-reported measures that patients can incorporate. And one argument that has been being made in the my myeloid world is we're often now waiting for molecular testing. Mm. And we have a small window where we're waiting for disease information. Could we use that time to assess patients more thoroughly? Yeah. So Maybe there are new opportunities and new windows where we can um, focus on staging the aging while we're working up the cancer. And I'm sure there's a lot of collaborative relationships you have to have. I know there's uh, several groups, in, actually there's a new faculty uh, where I'm at who 
specializes is actually a PM&R doctor and specializes in prehab, you know, prehab rehab. So certainly in the space where, you know, prehab, particularly for, you know, myeloma patients where it's like, you know, they're already fairly frail, we're starting induction, Mm -hmm. are they going to be eligible for a transplant? You know, we're having that discussion. So I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities to collaborate with, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech language, you know, but I think finding the right bundle, it seems like kind of what there's like, there's a systems-based hematology kind of bent to it is like, how do you integrate that into a larger health system? Yeah, very much on point. Everything you're saying is kind of preaching exactly what the Jerry Heem and Jerry Ong people preach. And that is that it really is a multidisciplinary effort. Call in your friends, call in the social worker, Mm. the, the PT, the what have you, anyone who can help. And there are many ways of implementing it. There is no universal formula. Every cancer institute has its own kind of way, just like multidisciplinary tumor board differs from institution to institution. I think the big picture is, of course, it's important to get a practical approach to how to do this. But beyond getting bogged down in the details, really think about how can you assess the patient thoroughly with good geriatric care, really. For people who are interested in this, what's a good place to start? Because this is a, I'm sure it's a fairly niche world. I'm sure you know a lot of the Jerry Young people and Jerry Heem people out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And I kind of stumbled upon this world and became interested and joined it. But I can say to trainees, this is a very welcoming world that is kind of extremely multidisciplinary. Think of any geriatrician you've worked with at any point in your training and how kind of bubbly and approachable they are. And I kid you not, that's the Jerry Heem and Jerry Onk world. They're very welcoming to trainees. They get a lot of kind of new people coming in asking, what even is this? How can I learn about it? So there are national and international groups that Mm. you can kind of look up and join. Very low key. Uh, On a national level, there's something called MyCARG, which is Cancer and Aging Research Interest Group. Okay. So C-A-R-G. And if you just Google it, they have bi-monthly meetings on Zoom. Everyone is welcome. They talk about existing opportunities. They talk about ways that you can kind of join in um, and contribute. Again, at every level, medical student, resident, trainee, anyone interested in learning more, you could be a very silent learner. You could be an active participant. It's really a a welcoming group that does a lot of excellent work. And then there's an international society that's very active and is, to me as a resident, it was baffling that I could meet and work with these people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. I am by no means an expert, but they welcomed me um, very much so. So I recommend looking up the Society of Geriatric Oncology, and that is S-I-O-G, SIOG because the acronym's in French, actually. And mm. then there's a young SIOC for people who are earlier on in training. Oh, so okay. look it up on Twitter. They have an active Facebook group. They're a pretty active bunch. So it's great. The reason we're doing this podcast is also because this is a, a project that you have for the Training Council, you know, yeah. which for those of you who don't know, you know, Training Council is junior trainees, currently now fellows, although we're now expanding to residents and med students who are kind of official representatives of ASH. And this is, I think, a personal project of yours. What's your goal with kind of this project, you know, when it comes to the ASH Trainee Council? Yeah, that's a great question. ASH has benefited me immensely in helping me network and introducing me to ideas that are out there. You don't kind of know what you want or what you're interested in until you know it exists. What I really wanted to do through the training council is expose people to geriatric hematology, let them know that it's a field that exists. Because many, many people want to do right by their patients and assess them holistically and comprehensively. And you don't want to reinvent the wheel. Someone's already thought of it somewhere. So if you learn about what's out there, you might find like-minded individuals. You might find clinical and research interests or implementation research, which is what I'm interested in, through the trainee council's members, because our goal is to kind of promote things for trainees, or at least my goal. I was hoping you would talk about implementation science as being the component of this, because that's the, I mean, the science of frailty obviously is fascinating, right? I mean, but 
it really does get down to like, how do we actionably do this? You know, so what are some implementation science strategies that we have right now? It's a great question. One of my mentors had developed um, an electronic geriatric assessment platform, mm -hmm. which is essentially an app on a phone or on an iPad where patients can report their own um, they can answer questions, validated questionnaires to give information that then comes to the hematologist or oncologist and the hematologist or oncologist can do with that what they please. So, for example, you're a patient presenting to a new clinic. You get this link to an app that you would open. You would click and answer some questions. Have you fallen in the past six months? How many medications do you take? How often does your health interfere with your social activities? Questions that are pretty simple for people to answer. And that information gets transmitted to the hematologist or oncologist who can then either work with the patient mm. on, like you mentioned, stuff like prehab yep. or refer them to a specialist if they feel that they need it, all sorts of different interventions that they right. can do. But theoretically, this shouldn't take too long. This mm. is something patients are answering in the waiting room or before they show up for the visit. And my personal interest in research is, again, I'm all about not reinventing the wheel. So taking this project that has already been developed by someone who has much more expertise than I do, and implementing it in our fellowship program in oh, one wow. of our clinical yeah. sites. So again, through these consortiums that I mentioned, I networked with people who had already developed these things. And I said, hey, can we try to apply it locally? Mm -hmm. And they said, we would love that. We would love to help you make that happen. And we're working on doing that. So as a fellow, I can actually make a difference and try to apply research that someone else has come up with to my patient population and see how I can implement their idea in a different population. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a genius way to do it because let's face it, as fellow, I mean, well, I'm not a fellow anymore, but when I was a fellow just last year, I mean, we're often the ones spending the most time with our patients. And, you know, I have done, I've calculated some of those frailty scores for some lymphoma papers, you know, mm -hmm. but it's a great place to start is with fellows, especially if you can implement in a fellow's clinic and demonstrate, hey, you know, this is a better predictor of frailty. There are interventions we can do on this. It makes sense why you want to start with trainees, you know, yeah. because I think we all recognize the importance of this. Absolutely. Agree. Yeah. yeah. What other uh, advice do you have for people who might be wanting to do this? I think put yourself out there, listen and ask. If you think there's an opportunity you might be interested in, just listen. Again, I attended a lot of these meetings. There were Zoom virtual meetings uh, before Zoom was even a thing. <laughs> and um, I thought, what could it hurt to listen? And it really kind of shaped my career. I chose a combined Geriong fellowship because of just kind of stumbling upon this field. So this may apply to Jerry Heem, but really advice to trainees everywhere is expose yourself to more than what you think you're interested in. My personal two cents is you never know where, where you'll find something that really ignites a spark. And reach out to people. Network. Don't kind of be too worried or concerned that it won't be well received. My personal experience, I don't know about you, Dr. Major, but if I've shared an interest in something, it's almost always been met with um, equal enthusiasm. Well, certainly at Ash. Yeah, yes. of course, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, it doesn't hurt to express interest and to put yourself out there. So definitely do it. Go for it. Well, it sounds like we'll see Dr. Abdullah as one of our blood buddies at, <laughs> at an Ashapalooza in the future who's going to be providing that mentorship advice for oh. geriatric team. No, it's good. I, I mean, would love that. I, I know. Love I mean, it's, I, I think, you know, uh, and we'll have some information in the podcast about how to reach you for people who are interested. Yes, please. Any last parting thoughts? Um, look out for a publication in hematopoiesis in the next. Oh, there we go. Uh, that was a big put big, a plug uh, in. <laughs> yes, look out for a publication where people who have far more expertise than me uh, will share uh, more about Jerry Heem. But just to kind of get Jerry Heem out there, and definitely feel free to reach out with my contact information with any thoughts, suggestions, or just networking. I'd love to hear from others, and I'd love to learn from all of you and hopefully share thoughts. Well, Dr. Abdullah, thank you so much for joining us today on our Ash Hematopoiesis podcast. Thank you all for listening. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Major.
We'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. For more information about hematopoiesis, please visit the Hematopoiesis website.